I love to deer hunt. Yeah, so there's a few who go, yeah, and everybody else is like, you got to be kidding me. Deer hunting. The number one thing that we love about deer hunting is its time with family. We actually get out every year. It's my, my uncles, my cousins, my father. Uh, used to be my grandfather for years. We would get out and we would spend a weekend acting like goofballs. You know what I mean? It's time in the pickup truck. It's time throwing people out of the pickup truck. It's time just having fun. It's time sitting out in the woods and just relaxing. It was just a great getaway and time to be with family. That was probably what I loved most about it. There was also the hunt. You know, there was a time where I was sitting up against a tree and in the early morning as the sun was rising, I was facing east and the snow began to fall. And yet the sun was clear against the sky. The clouds weren't covering up the sun. So the sun was hitting the snowflakes as they were falling. And it was like little prisms everywhere falling to the ground. It was awesome. Just sitting in those moments, you realize this is why it's good to get out every once in a while. You know what I mean? Love to deer hunt. On the other side of it, there was this angst of I've got to get one. And in the midst of that angst, I'd have this anxiety and, and you watch, you know, I'm watching these professional hunters on TV and they get the same thing. You get this nervousness, your hands start to shake. I can't even explain it. It sounds totally dumb if you've never done it, but I'm telling you in the midst of the deer hunt, all of a sudden you start focusing on got to make this work and it completely ruins the hunt. And all of a sudden there's so much energy and there's so much adrenaline flowing that if you miss, you're going to do and. And so, of course, then usually you do miss. And that's what starts calming everything back down. And then you can enjoy the rest of the weekend again. But I got to tell you, the hunt can be all about the attitude. You know, the Christian life is a lot like that. We've been looking at Jonah and we're talking about sharing our faith. Eyewitness. Watch God work. I'm telling you, the enjoyment of that run, the enjoyment of witnessing, of sharing who he is, is all in the attitude. If our attitude isn't right, we are going to be deeply dissatisfied in the process. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4 today, and he's answering this question. How can I get my attitude right with God when it comes to sharing my faith? How can I be running hard after him and have the right attitude? That's what we're going to be answering as we look at Jonah chapter 4. We got our ushers coming forward. They've got some Bibles in their hands. We'd love to get one to you. If uh, you do not have one, we're going to just be going verse by verse. So raise your hand. We'd love to get a Bible to you, okay? Just raise it high and they'll see you and get it to you eventually there. All right? Jonah chapter 4. Again, we're answering the question very simply, how can I have a right attitude as I witness? All right? First point, we have to be more concerned with what God thinks than what others think. We have to be more concerned with what God thinks than what others think. That's the first point, okay? As we go into this, we have to make sure... There we go. I got it up on the slides now for you. Be more concerned with what God thinks than what others think. We have to make sure that we understand what God is doing, all right? Let's just jump in right in verse 1. Notice chapter 4, verse 1 of Jonah. It says the word, but, okay? So here's what's happening. We've got this contradictory statement going on. But Jonah, okay, that's where he's at. Jonah was exceedingly displeased. Why? Well, we have to look back in chapter 3. What happened? 
Jonah came in and he was told to preach a message. The message was simply this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he's supposed to walk around and just tell the whole community of 120,000 people, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. He's declaring that it's done. 40 days and you're over with. And now all of a sudden, they all start to begin to rally together, fall on their knees, start to fast, dress in sackcloth. There's this humility going on and this this decadent, horrible, Gentile, Assyrian nation that's supposed to be judged by God is coming to him. And I'm the means for it. And so as what he had hoped would be a horrible judgment begins to turn out to be a great repentance moment, chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's where he was at. Not just displeased, displeased exceedingly. Did you ever use that word a lot? I put a lot of ketchup on my burger today, exceedingly a lot. You know what I mean? We tend to not use that, right? But the word really means like a whole, whole lot. He was really upset. That's where he's at, okay? I am ticked off. This is Jonah, right? Not a happy camper right now. Didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I wanted judgment. That's what I wanted. And that's actually the message I was told to bring. And I was happy to bring that. Didn't seem to work out. It says, Jonah was displeased exceedingly. He was angry. Now here's the nice part. Verse two, he prayed to the Lord. So he's still keeping this relationship going with God in the midst of it, right? In the midst of his wrestling, he at least goes vertical and he prayed to the Lord. Here's what he said. Oh Lord, Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? So he's whining that hearts are changing. He actually had this foresight ahead of time that God was actually maybe going to possibly have some good in store for these people. Is this not what I said? Getting a little bit authoritative with God. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. I knew it. Can, can you hear that? He's got this, oh, brother, I knew you'd be like that. Gracious and merciful, forgiving and loving, relenting of disaster. I knew it. That's the problem here. What? Can you hear the mistake in Jonah's attitude? He's deeply disgruntled. That God is a gracious God. He actually goes back and he's quoting here. It's Exodus chapter 34 verse 6. That's the quote he's giving. You are gracious and merciful. You, you are, your love, it's unbounding. He's quoting the very statement that was made about Moses as Moses met God. Some detail of Moses and God. It's a great quote claim of who God is. Gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now that's a God worth knowing. Amen. Now that's a God worth knowing. Jonah's plan. I was hoping for God to get a little bit vindictive. I was really hoping for him to bring it today. Or at least in a couple 37 days is kind of probably what it was. He probably was in there about three days sharing. And now he's sitting outside waiting. He says, I knew you'd be gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He knew 
that God would have a way of working in hearts and changing souls and that the disaster he was speaking of might turn and end up a great moment of them being reconciled. Why would that be an issue? What's Jonah's problem? You know, Jonah probably has a stiff issue of prejudice going on here. Remember, we have northern Israel sitting about in this area, up around the Fertile Crescent and down over here. We're sitting in Assyria at, the, at Tarshish, or I'm sorry, at Nineveh. And this city at one point becomes probably what would be the equivalent of a capital for Assyria. This is a major center, huge decadence, horrific treatment of people, including Israel. And there has been some major hatred for this people. There is a prejudice going on. There is a desire for judgment. There is a, oh, fine, I'll go, but you better bring it. I'll go, but I'm expecting some major pain. Fine, let's go. And he gets to Nineveh. This is our man. This is who God's using. And in the midst of that attitude, God brings a message to them that says, you must repent. Now, I'm, I got to say, that would probably be the right guy to have that message, right? This guy who would prefer that you just be punished forever. Walks in and goes, 40 days and you'll be overthrown. He's happy to bring that message, right? So Jonah brings it with due diligence. And the people hear it and they respond to the very movement of God in their hearts. God's at work. Jonah's attitude brought him some big problems. The prejudice that he had didn't work out for him. You know, he was wrestling with a couple other things here. He was also struggling probably with a bit of the I look stupid problem. You know what I'm talking about? You know, the kind where you stand up and tell people that in 40 days they're going to be punished and then they're not. You know what I mean? The kind where you stand up and announce this will happen and then it doesn't. The kind where you were adamant that it would go this way, but it didn't. So Jonah's sitting in a spot where he is, A, wanting it to have happened. And that's probably the primary. Major prejudice and a big goal. The punishment, big time. But secondarily, I look a little bit dumb too. You know, I'm not really happy, happy right now with how I appear to the broader public. Jonah, wrestling with his attitudes. You know, he comes up with a statement here in verse 4, or in verse 3. He starts out, therefore. Okay, when we see the therefore, we say, what's the therefore? Okay, so what's the therefore, therefore? In the midst of my bad attitude, and in the midst of your consistency with your character, therefore, please take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Whoa, this guy is going over the top. I mean, this is at the point now where he would rather just be dead. Do you know, we need to be very careful here. He's not just emoting. He really is sincerely saying, my life's not worth living. I am a prophet of God. I was meant to be here for Israel. And you have used me for the enemy. You have brought the horrific nation of Assyria to their knees before you. And my country is still a mess. But this country is getting right with God. My entire purpose in living is done. I was here for these people. And I've been used 
for the enemy. You may as well take my life. This is not worth living. Problem. Jonah had his own goal. And Jonah's goal wasn't really lining up with God at work. Now, God had purpose. God was using this nation. And we talked about it last week. This nation, as they get right with God, would end up coming back and end up taking Israel, the northern part of Israel, captive. They end up being used as a kind of a purifying tool to bring Israel back to them. And a remnant is ending up coming to him. God is going to use them in order to grow them. So indirectly, Jonah is getting his job done. But Jonah's first touching this nation so they can then touch his nation. And there's some growth. Now, it turns out God was working. And Jonah did have a long-term view of God at work. He just had it kind of envisioned a little differently. You know, one of those? I didn't think it'd go quite like that. And I'm not really oh so happy right now about it. He actually got to the point where he was in so much temper tantrum that he would have just rather laid down and given up life. That's where he's at. God's position. Verse 4. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Okay, when God starts out that way with you, you're not in a good spot. You know what I mean? This is one of those moments where you really kind of need to just hang your head and do some thinking. Do you do well to be angry? Have you ever talked to your kids that way? I have not. I got to be honest. I don't come up to them and go, do you do well to be angry? And, and expect them to begin to turn. God is working with Jonah and he's challenging his mind and his heart. You need to do some thinking. Notice Jonah's response in verse 4. Oh, there isn't one. Jonah is not recorded as saying a thing to that challenge. Probably because he doesn't do well to be angry. Do you know what I'm saying? This is a moment where you've got no answer. And so you just kind of hang your head and move on. All right? We are in a situation where Jonah, the prophet of God, is learning that his concerns were more important than God's concerns. And it broke his heart. It's time to be more concerned with what God thinks than what others think, even yourself. It's time to get in line with God's thinking. You know, how often are we in a situation where we tend to resist because we're afraid of what others might think? Or because we would just rather not see that person exactly come to Christ? We've got a real issue with them, an extreme prejudice. September 11th, 2001, 9-11. A great day of prejudice started there. And there was a lot of hurt. You know, I was down at a class this last week, and my professor uh, talked about September 12th. He was on a train ride back downtown. He was a professor at Moody. And as he was riding downtown, he noticed that there was palpable tension in the air. People were talking more than they would normally talk. Papers were open everywhere. Everybody was holding up the paper and reading different pieces of information of what was going on. And as he watched... And as he thought, and as he prayed, he thought, you know what? These people don't have hope. Maybe it's time for just a little bit of hope. And so he stood up on the train. So you can hear it clickety-clacking along, right? And he's holding on. And he says, 
can I just have everybody's attention for a second? And people looked up and he said, look, I know that you guys are all thinking about what happened yesterday. And we're talking about it and we're chatting with each other and we're reading the newspapers. Can I just tell you, I'm a professor down at Moody Bible Institute. And I'm about ready to get off the train down there. And I'm going to begin to teach about a God who's alive. And I'm going to begin to teach about how we work on things with him in the midst of tough times. Could, could we just pray right now? Would you be okay if I just prayed and led us in prayer here? As we just think a little bit about what God might be doing in the midst of this horrific time. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know if I would have bet which way that would go. But everybody was like, let's do it. And so he has this whole car bowing their heads in prayer. And he brings it in prayer as he talks about the hope of a God who brings love, about a hope of a God who can reconcile even across ethnic boundaries, about a hope of a God who doesn't just restore and reconcile horizontally, but he reconciles vertically to God, about a God who loves us so much that this can be a turning point for our nation. And when he ended, he said, I'm just telling you guys, People were hugging each other. They were talking to each other. They were introducing themselves for the first time. He was seeing people of opposite or different ethnicities begin to talk with each other about the struggle. He saw people sit down next to each other three deep into a, into a little seat and start to share with each other. And some even continued to pray more. He said, I'm just telling you, I felt like I was going to be a jerk and that I would look stupid. But I stood up. And did what I felt God was prodding me to do. And God used it as a great moment. He said, I can't tell you where anybody ended up with that. But I did feel that it was a moment God was challenging me to say, you be more concerned about what I think. I want you to step up. And I want you to share just a little bit of me. And bring them to me in prayer. And let's see what happens. What's God calling you to do? Who's God calling you to? What are the circumstances where maybe you could step up with a little bit of boldness. I'm not talking about having to walk them through the exact, you know, Romans road of salvation. I'm talking about a chance to present the truth of the character of God and show them that you lean on him with all you've got. Who is that person or those people where you could think more about what God wants than what they want? That's our challenge. To step out for him. Okay? How do we go about having the right attitude? First, be more concerned about what God's thinking. And go after it with all you got. Second, look for how God is training you through similar circumstances. Look for how God is training you through similar circumstances. You know, we're going to take a look here in starting in verse 5. But just know this. God loves to educate. He loves to train. So if you ever find yourself saying, I can't believe this keeps happening, you might want to say, I wonder what God's trying to teach me, okay? They do go together. So watch this, okay? Verse 5. So Jonah, remember he's just been challenged, do you do well to be angry? And he walks away with no words. Jonah, verse 5, went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. Basically, a little place underneath that might give him a little bit of shade, okay? So he goes outside of the city and he's hanging out now. He's probably spent his three days across the venture of the whole city telling everybody doom is coming. He now goes outside of the city. 
Jonah is outside of the city and he says he sat under this booth in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Can you hear this? He's still in impudent mode. Do you know what I mean? He's still going, yeah, we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe you did fast, okay? Maybe that is sackcloth. Maybe you do mean good by that, but we'll see. You know, what? whatever, I'm going out of here. And then he goes out and he sits down, makes a nice little booth, and he hangs out for a little bit. We'll see. God told me that they'd get it. They'll get it. They're going to get it, right? They're going to get it. Then he just sits there and hangs and waits, upset. Now, he's been challenged by God. Do you do well to be angry? I got to believe that kept running through his head over the course of time there. (laughs) I do well. This was appropriate, you know, kind of trying to figure it out for himself. He then says, it says here, he sat in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Verse six. Now the Lord God appointed. Okay, get ready. You're going to hear the word appointed three times. All right. If you've got the NIV, it's provided. Okay. God at work. All right. Here's God beginning to train. Let's bring a little lesson to Jonah. Verse six. The Lord God appointed a plant and he made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Do you hear it? He's this wine. He wants total death and destruction. Let's consider his discomfort about the heat. And so God brings up this plant and it grows up right next to him very quickly. You know, it grows up in a day and it covers over him. And it must have been this big broadleaf plant because it's enough to cast enough shadow that he ends up feeling shade under it and ends up getting enough degrees of drop of temperature that he just breathes deep. He's comfortable, you know? I'm waiting for the destruction of the 120,000. I'm comfortable over here as I wait for them to be destroyed. It says that the plant was appointed. It came up over Jonah. It might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Okay, so he was exceedingly mad. Now he's exceedingly glad. It's pretty much Jonah world. It's whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me sad. That's what I'm all about. It's me. That's what it's about. What I want is what I want. And if I don't get it, I'm mad. And if I do get it, I'm happy. You know, that's me. Welcome to Jonah world. All right. I mean, how much do we live in Jonah world? I mean, seriously, come on. Don't we all live there? Right. I get mad when people don't give me what I want. And I get really happy when they give me what I want. You know what I mean? That's the challenge that God's beginning to bring to him. He says, First of all, the plant was appointed. Jonah gets all that. He's now exceedingly glad. Verse 7, but, uh-oh. When dawn, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed. The second appointed. First the plant was appointed. Now he appoints a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a, a scorching east wind. So this thing withered fast. I mean, I don't know what this worm was and I don't know what it was doing and I don't know what the plant exactly was, but I'm telling you, the plant grew fast and the plant died fast, all right? So he gets this little moment of comfort and all of a sudden he wakes up the next day and his comfort zone is dead. It's laying on the ground next to him, withered, all right? God's plan, appoint the comfort and then remove the comfort. Do you hear it? Isn't God really good that way? He gets us just kind of relaxing enough where we go, yeah, nope, not that. Oh, okay. So I shouldn't have been looking there. 
that's where Jonah's at now, all right? So, Jonah begins to be hit now, not only with the lack of the plant, but it says in verse 8, with this appointed scorching east wind, the third thing. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Not comfortable would be the words there, okay? He's about ready to pass out. He's so hot. He can barely take it anymore. And now God has brought him full circle, and he asked that he might die. Jonah's position. It is better for me to die than to live. Hmm, those words sound familiar, don't they? Isn't it funny how when we're struggling in one area and we keep coming up with the same statements and the same struggles that God brings up a whole different set of circumstances and it brings us back to the same struggles and the same statements. And he's struggling again with wanting to just die. And this time, it's because his goal was comfort and shade and not fainting. And he's really upset about it. As a matter of fact, he's even a little upset about the plant. And so, after saying it is better for me to die, or verse 9, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? A little bit of insight into Jonah's heart. Do you do well to be angry? Here we go again, same question, right? So we had this question here. Do you do well to be angry? Okay, you're not getting it. Okay. New circumstance. Do you do well to be angry with the plant? For the plant? And he goes, you know what? Actually, yeah. That's his answer. Take a look in the middle of verse 9. He said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Thank you. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I think I'm in the right position here. I want to tell you that was unfair to that little plant. I want to tell you that that plant did nothing. I don't understand why that plant has to suffer. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. That plant was a fine little plant, and it, does a, it did a great job for me casting shade. There was no reason for that worm to come along. Mm -mm. Yeah, I am fine with being angry on this one. Righteous anger right here. Let me tell you, that's who I am. That's Jonah standing before God. You know what? Just, if we ever plan on schooling God, do realize that you're going to probably end up schooled, okay? So that's what's going down with Jonah next here, right? All right. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yeah, I do well. Angry enough to die. Okay, so we're back to dying again. We were exceedingly happy. Now we're back to dying again. We got the swings all over the place, right? Verse 10. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which makes or which come into being in a night and perished in a night. That's your position. You pity something you had nothing to do with. A day of life. A day of touching you. And you have pity for it. Am I correct? Yeah. That's kind of where I'm standing. In that moment, Jonah has just been explained. The very core of the pity of God. Of the mercy of God. Of the interaction of God with this world. And in that moment, Jonah has just come to grips with the fact that he is beginning to have passion for life. And life beyond him a little bit. Life right there, the plant, you know. And in that moment, God is waking him up 
to compassion around him, not just in him. God has just put him in the moment where he needs to stop running from him and turn to him. You know, when we have an appointment with God, there are four different ways that we can run. You might want to write these down. Four different ways you can run from an appointment with God. First, you might just straight out rebel. How dare you? I will go this way. I can't believe you want that. I'm going here. How dare you? Out and out rebellion. I think I know better than God. I think I'm going to school him on this one. That's one way we miss the appointment. God's setting up a training time. We miss it because we think we know better. Number two, complaining. That's a good one, isn't it? Can you believe? I cannot. What was that person thinking? Why did he? What were they? Right? And in the midst of our complaining, we're so intrigued with the human failure that we've missed the sovereign God's touch in this world. We're so intrigued with that human that didn't think the way I thought that we missed the way God was trying to think into the situation and challenge me with some change. Complaining. We all get a gold star for complaining, don't we? I mean, come on. Oh, nobody's saying anything. Do we get a gold star for complaining? Is it just me? I mean, right? It's easy, isn't it? Come on. It's so easy to just start off on the why did they? Why couldn't they? Why didn't he? Why didn't she? Why didn't... God is at work. Be careful or you'll miss the appointment. What's he trying to challenge you with? If you keep ending up in the same spot where you're like, why do I keep ending up next to people that do? Well, God might be knocking on your door. Is he trying to teach you something? So first is rebelling. Second is complaining. Third is worrying. What if? What if they? What if he? What if God is? What if? And all of a sudden we're in a panic. We're in a fear. We're, we don't know what's going to happen next. And so we start questioning all of that. And instead of listening and just following through, we begin to explore all the ramifications and possibilities of those who may not follow in the according way of hamana, hamana, right? What if? Those are deadly words if they're asked with fear attached. And the last one is ignoring. You know, we can actually literally say, I'm so in tuned over here, I didn't even know what was going on. I am so focused on this element that I completely missed that element taking place in my life. I didn't even hear God's appointment to it because I was so focused over here. Rebelling, complaining, worrying, ignoring. Those are easy ways to miss your appointment with God where he's trying to train you. Get ready to set those aside. Go hard after him. Let his circumstances shape you. Let your mind be shifted. God is speaking. Hear him. God is speaking. There was a man who found a chest and he opened the chest up and there was an old map of Jamaica and he rolled this map out and there was dust all over it. He blew the dust off of it, began to look at it and right across the island of Jamaica was written these words, land of look behind. That's what was written there. Land of look behind. He's like, what does that mean? So he began to do some studying and some research into it. This is what he found out. There were so many slaves 
that ran away and they ran to Jamaica. And when they got to Jamaica, they had one thing that they were doing for the rest of their lives. They were constantly afraid that they were going to be caught. So they were looking behind. Land of look behind became a place that they ran to where they were trying to get away for the rest of their lives. How often do we live in the land of look behind? God is trying to speak to us. He's trying to change us and challenge us and move us. He's trying to shape us through circumstances. He brings things our way so that all we should be saying is, praise God, I have no idea why you brought that into my life. That could be a really frustrating moment. What are you trying to share, God? What do I need to learn? How can I best be following after you? Or we can turn and say, nope, it's going to be my way. And then we start running and then we start looking. You know what I mean? We're always kind of waiting for how God's going to catch up. Don't live in the land of look behind. You might want to live in Jamaica, but don't live in the land of look behind, okay? The reality is God is here to shape us, to tra- change us, to teach us, and he does it through circumstances. Circumstances very similar to the very thing we're having troubles with so that in the end, when we get the aha moment, he can then bring us to our knees on the big thing. What's God looking for change in your life? What circumstances are constantly coming up? This time, make the appointment. No complaining, no rebelling, no worrying, no ignoring. Follow after him. So first, we have God with deep concerns and moves. Let's be more concerned about what he's thinking than what others are thinking. Second, we have God looking to train us in similar circumstances. And last, let your understanding of mercy motivate you to share. Let your understanding of mercy motivate you to share. Take a look at verse 11. After Jonah has just basically been schooled, he now understands pity. He now understands pity and mercy for other life around him. Verse 11, God says, you pity a plant. So verse 11, should not I pity Nineveh? This great city and where there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Shouldn't I care for this life that's going on? Shouldn't I care for these people where I have grown them and raised them and shaped them, where I have been working with them, where I have mercy for them, where I know them inside and out? Shouldn't I care for them? like you care for the little plant. And in that moment, Jonah's prejudice comes face to face with God's almighty mercy. And he realizes this has been a personal vendetta. It's time that I see God's mercy the way God's mercy is. It's time that I see God working in the lives of people because they come to him. This challenge moment It's hard to say what Jonah's end result response was because it just ends with God's word. When God is schooling us, who has the last word? God has the last word. When God is schooling, there will be a moment where he says, there endeth a lesson. And in that moment, he is taught. God's challenge, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will love I will reach out. 
I know them deeply. I know them richly. I am all about their salvation. Just a little side note. It ends with the phrase, and also much cattle. Yeah, narrative style. This may be not ending with the biggest punch, you would think, you know. But here's the reality. Why does it say, and also much cattle? Take a look back at Jonah chapter 3. When God is saying, hey, it's time for me to stir these hearts. Who ends up responding? All the way up to the king. And the king says, send out an edict. This is who I want responding to the edict. Man and beasts. I want all responding here. I am about the humans. I am even about the animals in this place. I am going to be touching all. As the king responds saying, get everybody in line. Get everybody in line. God ends up saying in the end, I'm hearing and I'm taking care of all. The other piece that's going on in Hebrew culture and teaching, there's three levels of life. There's plant life, animal life, people life. Okay? Jonah was caring about the plant life. God's saying, I'm caring about animals and people. You hear the biggerness of my plan. You hear the vastness of what I'm going after. I'm telling you, 120,000 people and all the animals, the cattle, that's where my care is at. Step it up a notch, Jonah. Now you've met my character. Step it up a notch. Now you get what I'm doing in this world. Our God is mighty to save. Amen? Our God is mighty to save. He is merciful and he is gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. And that's something to be happy about. Amen? When we talk about our God and his character, when we talk about what he does in people's lives, may we always be ready to celebrate as a heart comes to him. As we start to look at eyewitness and how we can apply Jonah chapter 4 to our lives, the question is simply this. Where is it that God's calling you to go and speak? Are you ready to be more concerned about what God wants said there than people, what they think of you? Are you ready to go in and just make some soft challenges and some general directions towards your God to take a stand for his graciousness and his mercy and his loving kindness? Are you ready to be schooled in whatever circumstances God keeps bringing your way so that you get the message nailed tight and then bring that mercy to the streets with all you have? Next week, we are going to be closing this series with this thing. How do I share my faith with a friend or a family member? We're going to make a very practical close on how in the world do I do this thing called sharing my faith? Let's be all about doing it in a biblical, godly fashion so we're not offensive, but we are out there. Let's share with all we've got so that we can see the very hand of God touching lives and changing and shaping 120,000 people and the cattle. God at work. He is mighty to save. And we can see his hand work. Amen? God at work. He is mighty to save. And we can be a part of that. Amen? God at work. He is willing to work through you. God at work. He is mighty to save. Let's pray.